eye of the beholder? Well, it may well be that the writing and punctuation of sentences are also in the eye of the beholder. As a college English professor put a series of words on a whiteboard in the classroom and asked his class to punctuate it. And I'm going to put those words on the screen so that you can see what the college professor asked his class to punctuate a sentence. Here are the words that he put on the board. The word a, the word woman, the word without, the word her, the word man, the word is, and finally the word nothing. And the English professor said, I want you to punctuate the sentence correctly. Most of the men in the class punctuated the sentence in this way. A woman, comma, without her man, comma, is nothing, period. Most of the women in the class punctuated the sentence in this way. A woman colon, without her, man, without her, comma, man is nothing, <laughs> period. I thought you ladies might like that especially. Now, if beauty is in the eye of the beholder and the punctuation and the writing of sentences is in the eye of the beholder, how do you write and punctuate a vision? A vision for the church. Because you see, indeed, all of us are sitting on the river bank at different locations, but we're looking at the same setting sun. So we all have a different view of what that sunset looks like. So if beauty is in the eye of the beholder and the punctuation of a sentence is in the eye of the beholder, sometimes vision is in the eye of the beholder. Now, I want to put something else on the screen for you. These are some words that our Dawnings participants, and you've heard about our Dawnings group that's meeting on Wednesday night for 10 weeks. There are 21 in the group. And our charge is simply to think about vision, to think about forming. What are those things and places that have formed us? And how do we engage ourselves in God's world? So one night when we were talking about vision, we asked the group to give us words that describe what vision means to them. And so we heard the word, and, and this came from the white tear sheets that um, we've had in the multi-purpose room hanging up for weeks. If we take them down, they're still up in there. So you can go look at them. But they gave the word sight, journey, revealing, goal, Idea, dream, plan, focus, appearing, horizon, destination, and future. And I think I like that last word the best because really when you think about vision, you think about what is that preferable future for us that God has in store. How is it that we can begin to see the world with God's eyes and begin to see that preferable future that he has in store for us that's God-breathed and God-inspired? 
Now, when you read the text this morning from Habakkuk, we see that there are some vision characteristics that are in those four verses of chapter 2 of Habakkuk. And I want to remind you of what some of those vision characteristics are. Give me the next slide, please. Thank you. First of all, the best visions always come from God. Did you notice that uh, verse 2 of Habakkuk chapter 2 begins with, Then the Lord replied. Now, there's nothing wrong with your ideas and there's nothing wrong with my ideas or dreams or visions for the future. But the best visions are the ones that God gives us as a congregation and invites us to embrace. That's the first one. The best visions always come from God. Second, vision always involves articulating the specifics so that everyone is on board and everyone owns it. God said to the prophet, Write down the revelation or write down the vision and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Now, I want you to imagine running. Some of you are runners. Some of you in this room have even run half marathons or full marathons. But I want you to imagine running at a pretty fast pace over several hundred yards. And I want you to imagine having a piece of paper in your hand that has about eight point type and is about four paragraphs long. And I want you to imagine running just as fast as you can reading that eight point type of about four paragraphs. And then I want you to imagine something that's written in 14 point type that's one sentence that has about seven or eight words and running about as fast as you can reading it. Write the vision and make it plain so that even someone who is running as fast as they can can read it and understand it and absorb it and take it in. Visions that God gives us often are specific and we understand what he's saying to us so that we can get on board so that we can own it. Next, number three, vision, God tells the prophet Habakkuk, has an appointed time. And it can't be rushed. Though it linger, God said to the prophet, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. I, I, I told you this one Sunday morning in a sermon, but I want to remind you again, on the first night that our Dawnings group met, I gave every member of that group a green apple. And I reminded them of the words of Thomas Merton. You heard him referenced in the Dawnings video. He was a monk who lived at the Abbey of Gethsemane between Louisville and Lexington, Kentucky, just south of both of those cities. And Thomas Merton one time rhetorically asked the question, how does an apple ripen? And he answered that question by setting it in the sun. Apples don't ripen overnight, and the visions that God gives us do not ripen overnight. They have to be set in the sun and in the light of Christ for them to ripen, for us to be able to see them and understand them. The next thing, vision always has a ring of authenticity and truth to it. God told Habakkuk, it speaks of the end and will not prove false. When God gives a God-breathed and inspired vision, it just resonates deep within your soul. You know that God has spoken and that he's leading and he's directing. It's something that has a measure of truth to it. And finally, the last vision characteristic is that vision comes to righteous, faithful persons who place their confidence in God and in no other thing or persons. 
God says to the prophet, but the righteous will live by his faith. You could also translate that last word faith, faithfulness. The one to whom God entrusts his vision are those people who are faithful, who don't put their trust and their competence in other things or people. They place their trust in the God who gave that vision in the first place. Now, I want to ask a few uh, Oakmonters to come up and join me in these chairs. Uh, you know who you are, and once they get up here, I'm going to uh, introduce them. And we're going to spend a few moments having a conversation that we're going to let you listen in on if you'd like. In fact, we hope you will. Come on over, Sylvia. This is Sylvia Fuller. Uh, to my right, Greenville Banks, Jr. To her right. Uh, next is Matt Williamson. And last but not least is Blair Vick. And we want to kind of spend a few moments just talking about Oakmont and our 52 and a half year history and how that vision has changed and adapted and yet remained the same in many ways over the course of time. And I'm going to start with Sylvia because Sylvia, you, um, you were a child growing up when Oakmont was born. At the birth, you were there as a child. And you know, Oakmont, that original vision of those uh, 42 charter members, 11 family units, was really a, a very unique, radical vision for Baptists in 1964, given all the circumstances that were swirling in our country and our world. T talk just a minute about some of the, the vision that drove those early charter members to start Oakmont. In 1964, <clears throat> Greenville Boulevard was the bypass around the city of Greenville, mm -hmm. and Memorial Baptist Church was in downtown Greenville. And quite frankly, it was too small. There wasn't enough room, especially when East Carolina College, as it was then, was in session. My parents, other folks who um, had different leadership positions, would, would go to deacons' meetings and say, we need more property, we need some space to grow, and everybody would agree, and nothing would get done. And, and you were turning away college students That's from correct. East Carolina College on Sunday. They couldn't get in the door to work. I can remember as a child, people standing outside listening through the doors and they tried to to pipe sound into the basement but this was the 60s it wasn't very good it did not work and so uh, one evening and it's recorded actually uh, somewhere in our church archives at the home of Kenneth and Eleanor Mercer uh, Kenneth and Eleanor and my parents Pete and Grace Carraway and Bob and Claire Holt were talking about the problems with space with the church and from that conversation, the vision, the epiphany of having first a mission and then a church happened. And from there, they knew other folks who shared their, their um, discontent, maybe would be the right word. And, and holy discontent. Holy discontent. Yeah, I, I like and, that. and from there, Oakmont was born from that moment. And, and it was really unique from the get-go. What were some of the unique things about Oakmont when they kind of wrote that vision out? Some of the very things that you've just said, I was thinking about my folks, as you said, those visions, it did come from the Lord, it did not come from these people. They wrote it plainly on paper and they all owned it. These people were go-getters there. Those of you out there that know some of these people I'm talking about, they were enthusiastic. Back then, this was the country. They wanted to spread the word and have a church in a place where there wasn't a church. And they did that. They prayed together, they tithed together, they were very committed to the tenets of our faith, which is praying, faithful tithing, commitment, 
And yet, I have to tell you, as a kid, I don't feel like I grew up in the church. I mean, I went to church. My dad was a baseball coach. I grew up in the ballpark. That's where I'm going to tell you I grew up. But yet, we were committed and involved, and it was just a, it was a family atmosphere. And, and it was really kind of radical and unique, given the 1960s, because the church welcomed African Americans. That was radical for Baptist Church. The church had women deacons. Very, very radical. And they even worked ecumenically with Methodists. <laughs> and Presbyterians. And other Christians. I, I mean, you, we, we kind of laugh today, but Baptists were kind of stay in your own corner, do your own thing, don't cooperate with others. Such a rowdy bunch. They just included everybody. They just included everybody. It was, to them, it was about you and your faith, not your background, not your skin color, not where you came from. It was you and your faith and wanting to get to know Jesus more. And as they grew older and other people joined and Oakmont started growing, they were so thrilled at that that they could kind of sit back and let the younger group start doing it. That was something that they, they would be smiling today. Just and, this. and very quickly because of their commitment to this idea of tithing, returning 10% of their income, those, those families said we can uh, afford to call a full-time pastor if we do that, which they did in the first five months, which is kind of amazing. And within three and a half years, they had bought this property and built the first unit here in 1967. But Greenville, I, I want to move to you because when you and Martha and your two girls moved to Greenville, you got them settled here in 1975 when you came to manage the, the belt store here. Um, Oakmont was, you know, still in, not infancy, but uh, starting to enter its adolescence at age 11. And, uh, you know, the programs and the personnel, i.e. staff and lay people leadership, and, um, you know, th those kind of things were not in place fully when you, when you folks arrived, were there? No, they were not. Uh, when we got here, we had a full-time minister. The church was in debt paying for the existing building at that time. And I think our secretary was part-time, and I know that our sexton was part-time. And that was about it. Part-time music director, I think. Part-time, yes. And that, was, that was it. Yes, an unpaid part-time music director. <laughs> <I might add. laughs> uh, but uh, we, uh, we, when we got here, there was a good visitation program going on. And the other program that I think really started the growth of our church was a youth program that Alice Dickens, and Alice is here today, and thank you, Alice. Uh, Alice Dickens persevered with and, and led and uh, that really started our growth because uh, in, uh, was it 1982 that you came as a, a youth, 83, 83, 83. Mm -hmm. came as a youth worker and uh, that really started things going and our growth kept uh, growing so that uh, all of a sudden we realized, you know, we need more space than what we've got. And so we started talking about uh, some different things. The church was still in debt, and under the leadership of Jim Bearden, uh, we raised enough money to have a note burning, and then that's when we started thinking about, well, we need to do something else around here because we really needed space. And of course, the space that most people were thinking about was the sanctuary, because that was the vision of that charter group. They, for years, there was a watercolor picture in the hallway of what they envisioned, which is nothing like we have today. And so our first Together We Build program, uh, we started in uh, 1983, and uh, we uh, 
we had several goals, $100,000, $200,000, $300,000, and I remember one young lady stood up in the back of what is now the, the uh, all-purpose room and says, I don't see how we can raise $100,000. We can't even pay our bills now. Well, she was right. We were having a tough time paying bills, no extra money left, but she was wrong in as much as we, well, she was right. We didn't raise 100000 we raised 300000 <laughs> and this was a pledge over a three-year period, and I remember that uh, throughout our campaigns that we had, and we had five of them, the, the statement was always not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice, and one Margaret Richardson, who is no longer with us, stood in the back of that, built, that room that night when we were discussing all of this, and she said, for years I've been saving for carpet for my house. It needs to be done. But I have decided that I am not going to carpet my house, but that I am going to make that sacrifice and live with that dirty, faded look a little longer and give my money uh, to the church. And that she did. Um, Martha and I had been to Europe for our 25th wedding anniversary, and we got the travel bug, and yet we decided that we would not do any more traveling until after our three-year pledge was paid, and this, this, this we did. So you see that sacrifice all along has, has been the thing, and everything we've ever done at Oakmont has been bathed uh, in prayer. <clears throat> the, uh, as we kept growing, we had the second together we built, which is another three-year program, some of us realized that we really didn't need a sanctuary, we needed more space for education. And uh, we talked with the charter members and they compromised and went with us and said, if you'll let us build education space this time, the next building program will be the sanctuary. And this is how we got the education space going, got it paid for. And then we did the last two campaigns and Sharon and Joe Edwards uh, helped Martha Ann and me with that, and we did the completing the vision, but again, it was equal, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And so this is how we came to be as to where we are today. Now through that time, also we were growing staff. Uh, Gordon Conklin retired as our minister. Greg became our minister. Uh, Michael was called as the minister of music. Uh, Beth was called later next year as a minister of education. And uh, from that, we have grown to where we are today. You, you know, it, it really has been about a 25 or 30 year development of those programs that we have, the, the personnel, both lay and staff, and certainly the property development that has led to this, this sanctuary. Well now, Mac, you were deacon chair in 2007, and interestingly, you were deacon chair again this year. In, in 2005, Mac, we had a long conversation about the possibility of buying these apartments that surround us, Oakmont Square Apartments, and the church decided not to. And by the time you became deacon chair, things had changed. That's correct. Uh, it's interesting um, that uh, what Greenville was saying, and, and I went back and, um, you know, Beth is always telling us about the spiritual discipline of journaling. Please, people, journal, 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 because I don't do it. And when I went back to look um, about that time, you know, uh, I realized that I, what I have is what I have up here, and that's not always as 
good a thing as it should be. And so I went back and I have a really big stack of papers in, in my office about that time. Uh, and so I went back and looked at that. And these are really official documents, real estate documents, all kinds of things that needed to, to happen. And um, But back in 2005, there was another big significant event that happened in the life of the church. And that was this building, I believe, we moved into this. Well, 03. 03, 03 was this and we yeah. were in the process of paying on on this. And so, to know the story of Oakmont Square, you have to go back to 2005 because that's when that first opportunity came up. Um, and I was not in in um, the the deacon chair uh, at that at that time, and so I went back and looked at some of my notes, and and this is some of the some of the things that um, that I saw through our discussions with our membership and a special prayer meeting. Again, prayer has always been a part of the Oakmont experience. There's been one clear message: we as a church do not want to be in the apartment rental business. We are not trained in that aspect. <laughs> We do recognize that the land that these apartments occupy is vital to continue our ministries and joining his work around us. We don't have a clear vision of what God wants us to do. We're struggling with finances at that time. It is by no accident that the many events that has brought us to our meeting here today have been under his divine guidance. A condition of the sale would be that OBC is not in a position to be landlords and it would be three to five years before our financial situation would allow us to convert the property to an Oakmont Ministry Village concept, then lease the property back to the prior owners for five years. That was in April of 2005. November of 2005, um, the, the Diagonet was meeting again, and that's when we actually were coming, uh, having uh, solid discussions about were we going to do it or were we not going to do it. And the truth be told is that a majority of the deacons felt that we should do it. But as soon as the, the deacons had taken that vote, we felt a sense, though, that that was our doing, not necessarily God's doing. And so here's uh, what was reported uh, back to the congregation. Many people have an honest and sincere tension regarding the property acquisition, potential needs in ministry versus not in God's timing due to financial obligations with the new sanctuary. Our diagonal values unity and understands that, that God's Spirit works in, in, in our lives in different ways and at different paces. An open process where every member was invited in multiple formats to pray and dialogue honestly with each other, God has used the experience to drive us to our knees, seeking for us to live as close to Him as we possibly can. That was the real decision, not whether to purchase the property. Well, as it turned out, that was not the end of the chapter. Um, so in March of 2007, the diaconate was called once again. That was 14 months later, uh, and at that time, I happened to be diaconate chair. Um, the prior owners of the property had contacted the church in early March uh, and had informed the church, as they had promised to do back in 2005, that if that property ever came back available, they would let the church know. Well. That property had come back available and there was a buyer that was interested and they were passing that information along to the church uh, to honor their commitment to do so with the right of first refusal. Recommendation was made that some, some of the deacons should go meet with the, the Wellens family uh, and the diaconate would meet again to see what came of that meeting. 
So there were several of us who met with uh, the, the Wellens uh, family, and we reported back to at a special meeting, Joe Edwards, Dennis Biggs, and myself, and it was at that point that the diaconate uh, astonishingly enough, had a unanimous agreement to offer to purchase Oakmont Square. In April of 2007, this is what uh, was communicated. The diaconate has met three times and vote, voted unanimously on uh, April 1st to recommend the church offer to buy two properties, not just one property. So we went from not being in the rental business for one property to buying two properties. <laughs> they accepted the offer. We understand that this turn of events is quite unexpected, and we want to do everything possible to provide all the information you need to discern God's will and timing in the matter. Interestingly enough, in that same period of time, uh, uh, not only were we talking about property, but it was in May of 2007 that there was, the church approved uh, the, a minister of administration search team. So we're continuing to look in, in, in that regard with regard to, to our ministries. In May, that same uh, year, uh, 2007, the congregation met and approved the purchase and anticipated a closing in June. It didn't close in June. Lots of these gray hair came out that, that summer of 2007. Um, <laughs> One personal reflection I can tell you because I was, although I was not the attorney, I was involved because I was the chair of the diaconate and as such I'm president of Oakmont Baptist Church Incorporated, um, but I was involved in that process and, and from, a, from a business perspective, there were so many times that that should not have happened. There were so many um, circumstances that came, and it was not because that the folks that we were dealing with, the Wellens family, they're a Christian family, they were wonderful to deal with. There were so many obstacles to, to come through. There were so many players that were involved, especially since we, were, we had that second property that we were going to dispose of upon the closing, and, and so was arranging the, this, the, um, the deal with, with those buyers. Um, and, the, and those folks were investors, and so uh, they, they, they had a certain um, uh, mindset. But at every circumstance when I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to report back to folks that that's just the end of it. Well, no, we're not done. We're, we're still going, and it actually uh, happened. And then I noticed that we... Um, presented a uh, Oakmont Square Apartments fact sheet uh, at the end of, of, of that process where what was said were the uses of OSA, Oakmont Square Apartments. No concrete plans established by the church yet. Lots of ministry opportunities discussed during the discernment process one and a half years ago. Parking space is only a small part, portion of those possible use, uses. So uh, we actually ended up closing uh, at the end of the summer of that year, and, and of course, um, we still have the... And, and let me transition to Blair, because originally we did think about buying the apartments for future expansion of the church and parking and, and maybe a ministry village or something. And then, Blair, we did some coaching in end of 2010, first of 2011, and things kind of got shifted. Right. And, and how did all that kind of play out? So in um, 2010, Eddie Hammett came to visit Oakmont, and he facilitated a series of coaching sessions, and that gave our church body the opportunity to come together around the table to kind of assess the needs in our community and to pair those needs with the strengths 
that our own church members had. And so um, back in 2010, we became very deliberate, um, very, very intentional about listening to God, um, about understanding the direction in which we thought God was taking our church. And as a result of those discussions, several ministries um, resulted. Um, some of those things we're still doing today, our medical clinic, um, we're stu still doing that. We have tutoring and um, literacy activities at Oakmont Square Apartments a couple times a week. We have ESL um, sessions with our neighbors over at Carriage House. We have our homeless ministry. And so we were able to really quiet ourselves um, and really become very intentional about listening and understanding the ways in which we could build community and, well, and the ways in which we can meet needs of our neighbors. And so that was a direct result of those coaching sessions. And looking towards the future, and, and we've already, uh, Nelson Cooper, when he shared his faith story, mentioned the core values of our church, how he had seen those at work in his life. And certainly we've, we see, we, we've named many of them here as we've told this story, but as you look towards the future, what, what do you see? So that, that question gives me much angst and it gives me much um, excitement. I think that Oakmont has done a very good job of leaning into our core values all the time. We lean into prayer, we lead into worship, we lead into innovation, into building community, into discernment. Those things have been really important in undergirding who we are. And a lot of good things have come from us being um, very intentional about listening to God. But as we plan for the future, I think that there is a little restlessness among us. And I think that there's a little bit of fidgety um, uh, of our spirit. And I think that that's really, really good because when we are searching and thinking, um, that is when God can really, really work within us. Um, and I do not think that we are a complacent people. I think that we are very yielding people. And so as I think about the future of Oakmont, one of the things that um, God has really put on my heart a lot recently in very different ways, but what would it look like for Oakmont to be less concerned with drawing people to Oakmont, but more concerned with drawing people to him. Mm. Mm -hmm. And what would it look like if we all took our very rich heritage and past that we had and really took that to shift us into this next direction? And what if we all reflected the likeness of Christ all the time? And what if we just really, really loved well? We loved our neighbors well. We loved each other well. Um, what if our future looks like just taking all that we've done successfully and kind of transferring that and shifting that into the future to just demonstrating the likeness of Christ? And I just wanted to close um, with this quick scripture in Acts. Um, that I think would really position us to love each other and to love um, our neighbors well. 
Um, so this is at, in, in Acts where Peter and John are out telling the community about Christ and they're doing all kinds of good things. And, you know, the, the people don't understand what's going on. And so they actually throw them in, in jail because they do not want anyone else talking about how great their God is. And so they throw them in jail. They seize them. There's a lot of stuff going on. They don't want anyone talking about how good God is. And then they, we go down to verse 13, and it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so I wonder for our future what it would look like if everyone just took note that we are a people who've been with Jesus. Mm, thank you, Blair. That's a great way of ending, and I want to thank these Four, join me in thanking these four for helping us to tell the story. Well, folks, we're, we're going to move into a time of response now as we sing together. And I want you during this time of response to really be doing a couple of things. Number one, maybe in your own personal way, expressing gratitude for the 52 and a half year story of Oakmont and how in many different shapes and forms and fashions it's been fleshed out to offer a prayer to god god speak to me you know this vision team on um, or this darlings team on wednesday night is not the only group that god can speak to he can speak to any of us about our future and what god has in store for us and as always during our time of response if there's anyone here who has never made that first time decision to be a follower of jesus to receive him as your lord and savior Maybe you've been through the Oakmont 101 class, our membership class, and you're ready to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. And as is our custom in both services, I'll be standing down at the front. If, if you have a decision for Christ or our church that you want to make, uh, if you'd like prayer, I'll be at the front. We'll have our prayer stations open in the back. One of our ministers will be up in the balcony to pray with you. We also have our communion places open that we, we receive communion the bread and the cup every Sunday during our emerge service. And we have two stations here at the front, two in the back, and actually some stations in the balcony. So if you'd like to move to receive the bread and the cup by intention, just take a piece of the bread and gently dip it into the cup. So there are lots of ways to pray, to respond. And by the way, also, you'll notice some offering baskets. We're going to take our regular offering for the work and ministry of our church in just a moment. But the offering baskets that you see by the communion stations on the main floor and in the balcony will go for disaster relief through the North Carolina Baptist men. You know, we had them here for almost about two and a half weeks here at our church, uh, a feeding unit that was operative. And there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to take place here in eastern North Carolina. Your money will go directly to impact families and individuals in that rebuilding effort here in eastern North Carolina. So you're invited to bring an offering as you come too. So let's stand together and let's sing and worship. <laughs> 